Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. I know there was no uh, episode on Monday. Sorry about that. Um, You know what? It was my birthday over the weekend. I took a long weekend and just I have lots more author interviews coming in the coming weeks. There was just a gap in the schedule and it was my birthday and I was like, you know what? We're just going to take a break. So that's that's what happened there. I but again there we got we got off interviews coming in the next few weeks so um <laughs> but I am back today I am back with my coworker Joe who also had a birthday last week so fun fact um and he and I are talking we are talking books written by uh LGBTQIA plus authors got got you guys reading the rainbow you know I know we have always in the past kind of done this thing um, in June where we talk about, you know, trans authors and LGBTQIA plus authors because of Pride Month. But you know what? You can read these books all year long and you should. So Joe is with me today to talk about reading the rainbow and I'm super excited. I had so much fun. There's so many good books on this list. All of them are in the show notes, as always. Um, if you want to get a hold of the podcast, you can go to the website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And you can always email at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. It's going to be that end of the year. Whew, like six weeks left of 2021. How did that happen? Uh, so, so, um, you know, finish up those, um, professional book nerds reading challenge sheets, email them, DM me on social, whatever, get them in. Um, eventually can't guarantee when, but eventually we will have, uh, the 2022 reading challenge. Don't know when yet, but it's coming. No promises on timing. Um, it, you know what? It's just like, I don't know about you, but, and maybe it's because my birthday falls in the middle of November. Also, I'm 40, y'all. Whew, what? Um, it, it, like, after my birthday, like, mid-November, it just feels like a sprint for the next six weeks where just, just trying to get to the end of the year because there's so much going on. So, um, fun times. So yeah, uh, I'm going to stop talking, rambling, really, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, Joe. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me today. I'm so excited for this episode. I am also so excited to be getting to share all these wonderful titles (laughs) yeah so for today's episode we are going to be sharing some books about the alphabet mafia ah the good old people in the alphabet gang (laughs) (laughs) i mean i love the lgbtqia plus uh, subject tag in libby Uh, you know shameless plug directly for the app but I also love to find books that I resonate with within my own community and to also find perspectives from other members of the community that don't have the same background or stories. So I can try to relate a little bit more to the people I want to share more time with. 
hundred percent. Yeah. We got, we got some good books for this. I'm super excited to, um, to dive in. So I'll go ahead and get us started. The Lost by Sonia Hartle. Okay. So this is a vampire revenge story. Ooh. I, I know. I know. Um, so not just vampire revenge story. So this is about Holly. She has been stuck with Crim Tear since 1987 when she let her boyfriend Elton turn her into a vampire. And then he ditches her at a gas station a few decades later. And she's just kind of like stuck in this, you know, with her vampire. You're just sort of like stuck in that moment when you return. And then she finds out that Elton does this like for his like whole existence he just like meets girls and turns them into vampires and then ditches them and moves on to another girl and um two of these girls Ida and Rose want to find Elton and kill him so he can stop doing it they get Holly involved and as they're like on this process they meet Parker who is um Elton's new conquest so to speak and holly starts to fall in love with her um and i just there's just so much to love about this you got vampires you got like lesbian vampire like i I don't know what not to love about this um just everything everything is perfect about this book i love every every word you just said (laughs) right (laughs) Like, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm I'm already like okay. Uh, I'm I can't wait for these to be in the show notes because I will be checking that out as well. I, I mean, like the thought of living the well. I mean, the thought of living the rest of my life with hair as a bald person is already a joy to me. Um, but it being crimped and then just seeing decades of turned turned conquests. Turned conquests. I, I love the, like, mm-hmm. the lesbian Kill Bill vibes. I'm here yes. for it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I guess I'll hit you with my first title. Um, these are in no particular order other than Jill said I had to have maybe a few less than I picked. <laughs> so I'm going to start off with The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley. So he was the best-selling author of Lily and the Octopus and the editor. It's a deeply funny novel about a once famous sitcom star whose unexpected family tragedy leaves him with his niece and nephew. So Patrick O'Hara always loved his niece Maisie and nephew Grant from a safe distance. (laughs) His Palm Springs home and reclusive lifestyle aren't necessarily welcoming to children, but when tragedy strikes, he's finding himself that he's now their primary guardian. So he has no idea what to expect, and having spent years just kind of like barely holding on after the loss of his great love and his career, now losing his family and being the parent of children, not quite what he expected. So he's uh, he's regretting his decision to take them in until he starts to recognize that his outsized lifestyle and unusual life wisdom could bring about a season of healing that redefines their understanding of family, and finally Patrick back to himself. That sounds so cute. Right? I mean, as a, a gunkle myself, I, I do not love that word. I tend to not love most words that sound vaguely like put me in a box. But in this context, I'm okay with it. Like, it's it's so wholesome that that I can uh, I can give it a pass. But th- this just kind of, like, jumped out at me. And I don't know how well I'll handle reading through 
<laughs> tragic, but um, it just yeah, that sounds that sounds cute. That sounds like a cute one. It just it does sound very wholesome. Exactly. At the end of the day, it's like you can picture this person. He's I mean, I'm describing myself right now, but he's in a caftan laying in a pool, like a deck chair next to the pool in Palm Springs. And all of a sudden he's doing that, but there's also screaming young children around him. So I'm getting like I'm getting like Nathan Lane vibes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like hundred percent. Yeah. Middle of the birdcage. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um my next one is Ace of Spades by Farida Abike Amadai. And this is about um, two private academy students, Devin and Chiamaka. They are selected to be part of the elite school's senior class prefects. And for both of them, this looks like it's a great, like the year's going to be off to an amazing start. Um you know, they could put this on their college resumes and it also puts them both in the running for valedictorian, which if you are at a private academy, that's, that's all very important. Um, shortly after the announcement is made though, someone who goes by the name ACES begins sending anonymous text messages to the entire student body, which reveals, um, secrets about the two of them that turn their lives completely upside down and then threaten every aspect of their carefully planned futures. Um, so like in, you know, Devin's case, there is a photo that goes out of him and um, another boy in their class that they had like dated in secret and nobody knew about. And now everybody knows about it. And, you know, he hadn't been out to anybody. And so now the entire school knows. And so as this Ace's character shows no sign of stopping, what seems like of a prank quickly gets more dangerous and more serious. And these two have to kind of work together to find out who is sending these messages out and why all to like navigate their senior year of high school. So that's a lot to take on. I sh- first off, I should not be surprised that you have brought me an academic set title. Oh yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Please come on. We're in a boarding school. Jill's there. That's right. Um, but this is like Pretty Little Liars, but way more compelling. Uh, who's the mysterious person? Oof, I'm here for it. I love it. Always about the mysterious person sending text messages or secrets of some variety. And the shiver down my spine when you said a photo gets spread of his secret relationship. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> not, mm-hmm. not the flashbacks. <laughs> not, not, yeah, not good. Not good. Well, all right. Next up, I have Under the Whispering Door by TJ Klune. Now, I'm sure many of you have checked out The House in the Cerulean Sea. I know it's been recommended on the podcast before, but this is his new book. It did come out this year, September. Uh, So when a reaper comes to collect Wallace Price from his own funeral, Wallace suspects he might really be dead. Instead of leading him directly to the afterlife, the reaper takes him to a small village And on the outskirts of the path through the woods, tucked behind the mountains, is a particular tea shop run by a man named Hugo. Hugo's the tea shop's owner, and to the locals, he's also the ferryman to souls who need to cross over. Now, Wallace isn't ready to abandon a life he's barely lived, uh, but with Hugo's help, he finally starts to learn about all the things that he missed throughout his life. When the manager, a curious and powerful being, arrives at the tea shop and gives Wallace one week to cross over, Wallace sets out about living a lifetime in just those seven days. 
So uh, it's uh, like heartwarming, heartbreaking, it's grief, it's hope, and it's it's Clune's kind of signature um, warmth and humor and also empathy. So it's just like a really, yeah, it just hits you with all of those like, oh, I have, it, it's like a Hallmark movie to me, which I love, but at the same time, like good. <laughs> yeah. Plus there's a tea shop. I mean, I mean, who doesn't love a tea shop? Who doesn't go love a, a good brew? <laughs> right. Can't go wrong with that. Can't go wrong with that. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to stick with my high school theme and go with may the best man win by ZRLR. This is about Jeremy. Jeremy um, is the cheer captain and student body president and has recently come out as a transgender boy and he's not going to let this so ruin his senior year. So instead of bowing to the bigots and outdated school administration, Jeremy decides to make some noise and how better than by challenging his all-star ex-boyfriend Lucas for the title of homecoming king. I just... (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yep. So we have Lucas, who is your cis straight football star. And now Jeremy is transgender boy. And they're going to go after the, uh, they're going to go for the homecoming king together. Um, but as you know, Lucas is like, well, that's not going to work for me and try to like sabotage Jerry's campaign and Jeremy's trying to like you know find his way in this kind of new um situation he's in and then when both boys take their rivalry too far the dance is on the verge of being canceled so to save homecoming to face the hurt they're fighting and the lingering butterflies they can't deny (laughs) I know you guys can't see Joe's face, but let me tell you. Yeah, po- podcasting is an audio medium, and I am just sitting here mouth wide open. Uh, every once again, every word you just every said. Word, every, every word, every word. I know. I the first thing that struck me is like you said it again. Here's another high school title. I am so happy when I hear that. Like the 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 feelings in my body is usually not a very like feelingsy person uh knowing that this generation and the generations after them have like the representation matters is what i'm Mm -hmm. trying to say but the fact that they have titles that are in their age range they're not finding the random obscure indie published beat up dog-eared copy in the back hidden part of the stacks that someone's like this is the one queer book we have that's all you get like the fact that like we both have just like lists of here's like some YA for you yes yes yeah and the thought of being able to navigate like to see the navigation between well this is this is my ex-boyfriend but what does that mean for this cis man sexual like oh yes juicy questions Indeed. indeed important representation Absolutely. Okay. Well, I can't hit you quite with anything like that with this next title, but I do love a biography. I love kind of moments where I can find kinship with others through their stories. Uh, So I wanted to recommend Bettyville, a memoir, and it's by George Hodgman. This one's a little older. It came out in 2016. So when George leaves Manhattan for his hometown of Paris, Missouri, 
he finds himself the unlikely caretaker and near lethal cook uh, in a head-on collision with his aging mother, Betty. So she is a woman of wit and will. Will George lure her into assisted living when hell freezes over? (laughs) He can't bring himself to kind of force her from the home that they both treasure, but it's a place where, you know, kind of the echoes of the past linger. He's still hearing his father's voice in the halls, you know, reminiscing on the shared jokes and fights and dusty antiques and the rarely acknowledged conflict that Betty, who speaks her mind, can't quite reveal uh, her heart. So she's never really accepted the fact that her son is gay. So as these kind of two characters, you know, live the end of her days together and bring those two worlds, uh, you know, in in one place, it's a struggle for like self and self-respect as he moves from Manhattan back to that kind of small town. But it's, it's kind of like... It's got that vibe of Chu Wong Fu of like, we're bringing color to this dusty, dusty town. Uh, But at the same time, you know, just finding peace um, at the end of life and uh, yeah, the kind of struggles therein. So my, my main kind of note with this is, you know, we're recording this in October and October is coming out month within the community. And it just kind of, you know, like, as I was just like reflecting on it, it's so great that the younger generation has representation. It's also important to hear these stories of like, there are people who don't talk to their family anymore. And it's not that that doesn't happen anymore. But like, you can you can also have this whole life where a part of you is unspoken. Or, you know, just like, well, I love you, but we're not going to talk about that part. So it's a, it's a great read if you're like me and like a memoir. I also love any Tu Wong Fu reference. <laughs> I just <laughs> was not anticipating that. <laughs> so, all, all I will ever bring is a pop culture reference of any, as, what if I, I mean, talked about crimped hair. I'll bring up Tu Wong Fu. I mean. <laughs> uh, good old Patrick Swayze. Uh- <laughs> No, that actually sounds really good. And yeah, I think, you know, that's sort of interesting as you're, you know, on the TikToks and Black app, all the the young kids coming out, but um, that hasn't always been a thing for everyone to just like easily come out depending on what their family situation is. And not to say that like all of the young, you know, Gen Z has that now. So right. By no means is this me going, oh, the kids have it so easy. Right, right. The struggles still exist. They're still there, but. Oh, yeah. Sure does. Um, so my next one is Filthy Animals by Brandon Taylor. This is a collection of connected short stories. I love pretty much everything Brandon Taylor writes. He His book, um, Real Life, came out, I think, last year, year before, and just was huge. And so he um, has... He is a black gay man um, who lives in the Midwest. And so a lot of his um, his books and stories sort of center on um, fellow young creatives in the American Midwest. And that's sort of where Filthy Animals comes from as well. Um, so there are stories of you know, there's a young man who treads delicate emotional waters as he navigates a series of sexually fraught encounters with two dancers 
in an open relationship, forcing him to weigh his vulnerabilities against his loneliness. In other stories, a young woman battles with the cancers draining her body and her family. Menacing under a group of teenagers explode in violence on a winter night. A little girl tears through a house like a tornado, driving her babysitter to the brink. And couples feel out of feel out the jagged edges of connection, comfort, and cruelty. So again, I, I love everything Brandon writes. Everything Brandon writes. He's just, he's so good. The just everything. I can't, I, I'm just gonna say everything, just everything. So um I I love everything he writes, and that includes filthy animals, which is a collection of short stories. And again, I feel like you know. Reading is hard these days mm-hmm. since the start of the pandemic. And so mm-hmm. short story collections and essay collections are good for that sort of situation because you can just read them in bite size and they're, they're complete. It's not like a chapter night where then like a week goes by and you're like, I don't remember what happened, but you could just read like a few pages and you have a complete story right there. Absolutely. I am a sucker for short stories, any sort of anthology, especially when they have a through line like that, that they are interconnected, but like, you don't, you could put it down for a week if, you know, no bones day. Uh, I, this is where I'd reference, like, I miss the TV shows of the nineties where everything was episodic and not long story. You can't watch anything on the CW. Uh, Not if you want to just sit down and watch one thing. So read read short stories. <laughs> it's true. It's good advice. Good advice. And I love I love his perspective because it it's where I can start to like find that intersectionality and find different ways to connect with people that are different than me. So being a I I never accept the Midwest as my home. I say, hey, we're here in Cleveland. We're basically the East Coast. I'll t- <laughs> I'll take it. But I understand my beliefs aside <laughs> that that midwest attitude definitely helpful to hear and you know kind of just correlate i mean ohio has a coast so <laughs> yeah that's that counts it counts so i'm gonna go from nonfiction and jump over to ya fantasy so this is cemetery boys by aiden thomas released in september of last year A trans boy is determined to prove his gender to his traditional Latinx family, uh, but he summons a ghost who refuses to leave. So Yadriel has summoned a ghost and now he can't get rid of him. When his traditional Latinx family has problems accepting his true gender, Yadriel becomes determined to prove himself a real brujo. So with the help of his cousin and his best friend Maritza, he performs a ritual all by himself, kind of his first one, you know, and we all know how that's going to go. So he sets out to find the ghost of his murdered cousin and set it free. However, the ghost he summons is actually the school's resident bad boy. And uh, Julian is not about to go quietly into his death. That bad boy, he said, no, thank you. I'm here. I'm ready to wreak havoc. Uh, He is determined to find out what happened and tie off some loose ends before he leaves. Left with no choice, Yadriel agrees to help Julian so they can both get what they want. But the longer Yadriel spends with Julian, the less he wants him to leave. Now, Aiden Thomas is a trans Latinx writer. So once again, kind of most important, when I was discovering this title and reading through it, I was like, I want to make sure that The voice being represented is also written by a voice who has that perspective. So I just wanted to throw that out there as well. But 
it's it's that YA pop. We've got some star-crossed lovers. I mean, I like all those words. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like all those words. Absolutely. Um, okay, so I'll go with my next one that is also YA, and it is Felix Ever After by Kaysen Callender. Um, so love has never been in love, and yes, he's painfully aware of the irony. Desperately wants to know what it's like and why it seems so easy for everyone but him to find someone. What's worse is that even though he is proud of his identity, Felix also secretly fears that he's one marginalization too many, Black, queer, and transgender, to ever get his own happily ever after. When an anonymous student begins sending him transphobic messages, I swear I did not plan on this whole thing with like all of my books apparently are like... Anyway, so when an anonymous student begins sending him transphobic messages after posting Felix's dead name alongside images of him before he transitioned, Felix comes up with a plan for revenge, but he didn't count on his catfish scenario landing him in a quasi-love triangle. But as he navigates his complicated feelings, Felix begins a journey of questioning and self-discovery that helps redefine his most important relationship, how he feels about himself. So Felix Ever After was a Stonewall honor book. It was like Time Magazine, like best YA book of all time. Um, author Kaysen has previously won the Lambda Award and the Stonewall Book Award. And it again is that like written from by someone who has that personal experience. And um, it's it's so good. And the cover is just lovely. I mean, just lovely. I know we're not supposed to judge books by their covers, but we all do it. And we all do. a good cover is the most important part. And like you were saying, even though you didn't plan for them to kind of be similar or have a through line, once again, I'm thrilled to see it because one perspective, still not quite enough of, you know, just dropping secrets as ace and then coming over to someone using a dead name. Like we need all of it. So. Yep. All right. Well, speaking of ACE, uh, I wanted to flip it back over to nonfiction and talk about a part of our community that is often overlooked or misunderstood. So here is ACE, What Asexuality Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex by Angela Chen. So it's an engaging exploration of what it means to be asexual in a world that is obsessed with sexual attraction and what exactly the ACE perspective can teach all of us about desire and identity. So uh, the kind of back of the book description here is what exactly is sexual attraction and what is it to go through life not experiencing it? What does asexuality reveal about gender roles, about romance and consent, about the pressures of society? The accessible explanation of asexuality shows the issues that the ace community faces. So confusion around uh, sexual activity, intersection of sexuality and identity, navigating different needs and relationships, And it really shows us that these are all the same conflicts that nearly all of us will experience uh, in our own relationship, you know, and kind of uh, self-discoveries. So through a blend of reporting, cultural criticism, and kind of memoir moments, ACE addresses the misconceptions around the A of the LGBTQIA and invites everyone to rethink pleasure and intimacy. So, uh, 
couple things. Of course, this is clearly a nonfiction title, and it's a bit more direct uh, in the nonfiction than I tend to lead, but it's it's something that's so helpful. So if you are unaware of asexuality, these are um, individuals who do not experience sexual attraction, uh, but there is so much more to it than that. There are so many nuances and levels and different ways that, um, you know, that people kind of experience uh, you know, their own life and their journey in the LGBTQ plus community. And this book just kind of helps navigate a different perspective. So we're seeing, you know, just entirely someone else's journey here. I'm so glad uh, that you included this title. Yeah, because I feel like when it comes to identities within sort of the rainbow spectrum, uh, this is one that often is still finding its footing in books. And so, uh, yeah, excellent, excellent pick. Thank you. And I also wanted to just, I know I only bring up the release date sometimes, but this one is from September of this year. And when you're reading nonfiction about the rainbow community, it needs to be some level of current. I, my personal bias is within like three to five years. And even at five years, you're hitting the end of like, Mm -hmm. yep, you're going to be outdated. So if you're, if you're looking for a new perspective, or if you are kind of discovering your own identity, it's a great place to, uh, to start from. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so my next one is, uh, also nonfiction. It's a memoir. It's long live the tribe of fatherless girls by T Kira Madden. Um, so this is her debut memoir, um, about coming of age and reckoning with desire as a queer biracial teenager amidst the fierce contradictions of Boca Raton, Florida, a place where she found cult-like privilege, shocking racial disparities, rampant white collar crime, and a powerfully destructive standards of beauty living in plain or hiding in plain sight. So as a child, Madden lived a life of extravagance from her exclusive private school to her equestrian trophies and designer shoe brand name. From, but under the surface was wild instability, the only child of parents continually battling drugs and alcohol addiction, Madden confronted her environment alone. Facing a culture of assault and objectification, she found lifeline in the desperately loving friendships of fatherless girls. So with unflinching honesty and lyrical prose spanning from 1960s Hawaii to the present day struggle of a young woman mourning the loss of a father while unearthing truths that reframe her reality, long live the tribe of fatherless girls, equal parts eulogy and love letter. Uh, so yes. So if you uh, caught the reference to the shoes, that would be Steve Madden. T. Kira Madden is um, Steve Madden's niece. Are the Gen X and older millennial like I am? That was like the shoe or the Steve Madden shoes. And <laughs> Uh, So this is, yeah, all about uh, T. Kira's experiences growing up and sort of finding her own group of her own community, essentially, when when her family was not quite what she needed at that time. Wow, that sounds beautiful. And it once again hits that like point that I love of multiple perspectives kind of in in one place. Um, And now I'm also discovering that I might also be an elder millennial as I... (laughs) As I think of Steve Madden shoes pretty highly myself. <laughs> and I have a fantastic pair of completely uh, rhinestoned uh, slips uh, that I just, I love to pop on every once in a while and dance around in. 
but wow so much yep. to come so, so much to come to grips with yeah with yep. just just one title <laughs> yep pretty much wow oh fatherless girls I love everything about that. I'm now I'm I'm just still reeling from everything. <laughs> Once again, everything you just said hit me in a place where I'm like, okay, well, add that to the list, more perspectives. Mm-hmm. All right. For my next title, hear me out. Star Trek, but even more gay. You know, if you think of the camp of the the original, you know, this this is kind of this is kind of the vibe. So here is a whole series. I am shouting out book one because I am just starting it myself. I don't tend to get too into sci-fi. Um, it, it has to hit me in like the right spot. Uh, but this is The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. I say this because it is an older title. Many of you may have read it already. It is from 2016, but her new book in the series just came out, I believe, the last couple months. So this story follows a motley crew on their exciting journey through space and one adventurous young explorer who discovers the meaning of family in the far reaches of the universe. So in this lighthearted debut space opera from a rising sci-fi star, I'd say Becky Chambers has risen pretty far since 2016. So this follows Rosemary Harper, who doesn't expect much when she joins the crew of the Wayfarer. While the patched up ship has seen better days, it offers her, you know, as as they say, three hots and a cot. So she's ready to kind of hop on and explore the corners of the galaxy, and more importantly, distance herself from her past. So she's pretty introspective, and she's learned from an early age to keep to herself. She's never really met anyone remotely like this crew, though. It's, you know, kind of diversifying her perspective, including a reptilian pilot, chatty engineers, and uh, their noble Captain Ashby. So life aboard the Wayfarer is chaotic and crazy, exactly what Rosemary wants. Uh, It's about to get extremely dangerous, however, when the crew is offered the job of a lifetime. So they'll be tunneling wormholes through space to a distant planet. It's lucrative, um, and it will get her as far away from her past as she thinks she wants. Uh, But the tiny Wayfarer crew will confront a host of unexpected mishaps and thrilling adventures that force them to depend on each other. Um, And to survive, Rosemary's going to have to learn on how to rely on others instead of, as she's used to, relying on herself. So uh, a character like that challenges me uh, as the person who likes to rely on themselves and give themselves up to others to rely on. Uh, And I'm hoping to learn right along with Rosemary. (laughs) What's not to love about all that? My next one is With Teeth by Kristen Arnett. Uh, this just came out in June, so it's fairly new. And this is about Sammy. And if Sammy is being honest, she's scared of her son. Working from home in the closed quarters of their Florida house, she lives with one wary eye peeled on Samson, a sullen, a noble boy who resists her every attempt to bond with him. Uncertain in her own feelings about motherhood, she tries her best, driving, cleaning, cooking, prodding him to finish projects for school while growing increasingly resentful of Monica, her but absent wife. As Samson grows from feral toddler to surly teenager, Sammy's life begins to deteriorate into a mess of unruly behavior, and her struggle to create a picture-perfect queer family unravels. When her son's hostility finally spills over into physical aggression, Sammy must confront her role in the mess 
and the possibility that it will never be clean again. So, you know, I, we got parenthood, queer parenthood, um, you know, how bringing a child into a marriage. I mean, children are great, but they can sometimes put stress on relationships and um, it's just family dynamics. And I just, you know, it's one of the things where you're like, oh yeah, she's got, she's got a wife and it's just, it's not a big deal. Like it's not a, it's not a big deal. This is just the family dynamics and that representation of just seeing that in normal everyday life is wonderful. That's also just as we get further along in our, our timeline here, it's that it's exactly that the fact that it is a normal statement. It is my wife, not she has a wife, you know, wife, like whisper it. (laughs) Right. We're not in the back of the church fanning (laughs) ourselves going, did you hear? (laughs) So I I love that. Uh, And also family dynamics, I think are super important to see in queer stories, not only, you know, kind of the trials and tribulations, but this kind of straight through line of just like, this is our family. We deal with issues after a kid comes into our life the same way that a straight cis family would deal with those struggles yep. and bring us all together, please. Authors of the world, keep doing your amazing work. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So like I said before, I do love to learn through the stories of others and biographies are kind of my favorite way to do that. Uh, but as also mentioned, I like it when they are short stories too. So This one checks all those boxes. We have biography in short story format. This is The Groom Will Keep His Name and Other Vows I've Made About Race, Resistance, and Romance by Matt Ortile. So when Matt moved from Manila to Las Vegas, the locals couldn't pronounce his name. I did look it up because I didn't want to be one of those locals. Harassed as a kid for his brown skin, accent, and femininity, he believed he could belong in America by marrying a white man and shedding his Filipino identity. This was the first myth he told himself. The Groom Will Keep His Name explores various tales Ortile has spun about what it means to be a Vassar girl, an American boy, and a Filipino immigrant in New York looking to build a home. So as we meet and mate, we tell stories about ourselves, revealing not just who we are, but who we want to be. Ortile recounts the relationships and whatever ships that pushed him to confront his notions of sex, power, and model minority myth. So whether swiping on Grinder, analyzing DMs, or cruising steam rooms, Ortile brings us on his journey toward radical self-love with intelligence, wit, and his heart on his sleeve. That sounds really good. Right? I I always want to find a a way that expresses kind of my experience as a queer man in the community that isn't the typical representation that we see everywhere, that isn't just the same voice or a version of that voice to sell to the public. I wanted, I mean, like the tears I shed to hear that, like his thought of the way to be happy, safe and healthy in America was to marry a white man and just pretend he was never anything but the husband of a white man yeah 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 intersections are so important and having more books that examine all of those intersections we need more of them absolutely all right so for my next one i'm gonna throw way back um this is oranges are not the only fruit by jeanette winterson um 
classic, classic. I first read this when I took a gay and lesbian lit class in college and have loved it ever since. Um, it's a debut novel that is sort of an examination of the complexities of a sexual orientation when you have and grown up in a very religious environment. And um, it's semi-autobiographical um, about, you know, Winterson's actual life. And it like was nominated for awards and all the things, all the things. So she's a bright and rebellious orphan who's adopted into an evangelical household in the dour industrial north of England. And she finds herself embroidering grim religious mottos and shaking her little tambourine for Jesus. But as this budding missionary comes of age and comes to terms with her unorthodox sexuality, the peculiar balance of her God-fearing household dissolves. Jeanette's insistence on listening to truths of her own heart and mind and on reporting them with wit and passion makes for an unforgettable chronicle of the eccentric moving passage into adulthood. Um, again, this is, it's way back, but it's a classic. If you've not read Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit, I highly recommend that you do it as soon as hey, possible. Fully co-sign that one. I'm, I'm right there with you. I also read it in college and... but also hearing that description like oh of the times her unorthodox sexuality yes I know I mean I'm with you I think it's just as important to see how we used to be described Mm -hmm. you know so we can compare the ways that we're still sometimes described yep (laughs) all right I have honey girl by Morgan Rogers so when becoming an adult means learning to love yourself first So with her newly completed PhD in astronomy in hand, 20-year-old Grace Porter goes on a girl's trip to Vegas to celebrate. She's a straight-A, work-through-the-summer certified high achiever. She's not the person who goes to Vegas and drunkenly gets married to a woman whose name she doesn't know until she does exactly that. (laughs) So this one moment where she steps aside from the self that she thought she knew and the kind of pressures from her ex-military father and the life that he's been kind of orchestrating for her, Grace starts to wonder why she doesn't feel more fulfilled that she's completed this degree. So staggering under the weight of those expectations and the struggling job market and feeling burnt out, she flees her home in Portland for a summer in New York with that wife that she truly doesn't even know. So in New York, she's able to ignore those constant questions about her future, and she actually falls hard for this now wife. So her wife's name is Yuki, and when reality concerns kind of come crashing in, Grace has to face what she's been running from all along, the fears that we all kind of share. So scars from family needing to heal, the longing for connection, and of course, dealing with the messiness of adulthood. From the first line of this, this description it hit me right in the therapy like (laughs) I I mean when becoming an adult means learning to love yourself first I will be calling my therapist after this so yeah yeah (laughs) yeah there was a, I watched Succession and there was a line last week that I keep thinking about where one of the characters is like, I'm going to outsource that to my therapist. And I was like, that's, I'm going to outsource <laughs> that to my therapist. Absolutely. My poor therapist, every week she's like, okay, what have you thought about too much this week? And it's exactly that. 
Meanwhile, my therapist is like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm like, I'm fine for the first 45 minutes. And then like five minutes before the end of the session, I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I I am always like, I am a champion. I have gotten through this week. I'm using all the tools, everything you've told me. I am your success story. Give me that gold star. And then I wake up Wednesday morning and I go, you know, you've been so successful and you've held it all together. But let's think about all these things because we can talk about it later with Brooke. And there we are. And I walk in and I say, I promise I'm not like this for the other hours of my life. Just this one. (laughs) Definitely. I've had that happen too. Where I'm like, I'm going to take notes of like everything that is going on this week. And then like, I forget all of them by the time they come. (laughs) Yes. (sighs) So it's kind of that like, I... You know, I I love an idiom, but I hate a cliche. Uh, It's a coming of age tale. But at the age that I feel like I am closer to than, you know, a 12 year old. So, you know, I I could I could have a PhD right now. I'm I'm around that age, a little older than that. But it's fine. It's fine. Um, Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, my next one is Payback's a Witch by Lana Harper. Okay. Uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina meets the L word. I mean, talk about loving all the words. Um, yes. <laughs> so Emmy is a witch, but not a very powerful one. She comes from a magical town called Thistle Grove. And this is a witchy town with um, several magical families and there is a uh, tournament that happens every year between the families to kind of decide who's going to be like the most magical family, basically. Um, and she comes from one of the families that's like not quite the powerful one and they don't really have much um, chance of winning, but she comes to help and it only kind of sort of has to do with Gareth, who is the heir to the current reigning powerful magical family and also her ex um and she comes back and she finds out that he has recently also broken the heart of her best friend um and they decide to kind of get revenge we're all about a revenge story between girls going after boys i'm all about that and They get Talia to help them, who's also an ex of Garrus. And then Talia and Emmy start to fall in love. And it's just like, we got magical families. We got magic. We got bisexual witches. I mean, please, what more do you need? I, from the moment you said the title, I was screaming (laughs) over here. That, I am ashamed to say, but that is the, the book in Libby that like my hold I'm always just like deliver a little bit later because I saw that I actually I think I have the publisher's copy sitting on my shelf and then I was like you know what I'll actually I'll actually get to this (laughs) Mm -hmm. if I check it out if I just check it out from the library and I've been like give me like another week but now after that I'm like oh we've got We've got bisexual witches. We've got a beautiful jacket cover. We're going after our ex. Powerful yep. magical thing. Okay. Yep. Okay. Deliver now. <laughs> we got it all. We got it all. Yeah. Lana was on the podcast. I interviewed her a couple of weeks ago and she talks, she like goes into the houses, like the magic, she goes into the magic system of like the different families, the magical houses, like mansions that they live in. Um, 
it's like a whole magic town. She, she lives in Boston or she was, she spent a lot of time in Boston. And so Salem played a bit of a part and it's kind of like her reimagining of Salem a little bit. Um, yes. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to date myself just enough here. Um, charmed Sabrina, the teenage witch. Oh yeah. Give me a magical house any day. Oh, yes. Yes, please. <laughs> With you. I mean, hello. I cannot wait. Oh, I cannot wait. Okay, I have two left. So uh, we're almost at the end here. I have been trying to cover my bases with diverse styles and voices, along with titles for every age group. Um, So another book that kind of seemed to hit on the things that I find myself working on week after week in therapy is Everybody Else is Perfect, How I Survived Hypocrisy, Beauty, Clicks, and Likes by Gabrielle Korn. So Gabrielle starts her professional life with all the right credentials. She's got that prestigious college degree. She's got a loving and accepting family. Her office is Instagram worthy, and she's got a tight knit group of friends. Now her life seems to reach the crescendo of perfect when she gets named the youngest editor in chief in the history of one of fashion's most influential publications. Uh, Suddenly, she's invited to epic parties, she's comped beautiful clothes, and shoes from trendy designers. I think they might be a level above Steve Madden, but to me, that doesn't exist. Uh, And of course, she's asked to weigh in on everything from gay rights to lip gloss on influential digital platforms. Now, behind the scenes, this is where we see that things are actually far from perfect. In fact, just a few months before landing her dream job, her health and well-being are on the line. Her promotion becomes the ultimate test of strength. And uh, it's just kind of a collection of inspirational and truly like burn your hand on the stovetop searing essays. So she's revealing exactly what life is truly like in the fashion world, trying to find love as a young lesbian in New York City, battling with anorexia, and trying not to lose herself in a mirage of empowerment and also looking perfect online. So it's it's deeply personal. Uh, it kind of covers everything from reconciling with ourselves what the world expects and also like a great quote here is um dealing with long-held insecurities about her body while coming out in the era the era of the l word where swoonworthy lesbians are portrayed as skinny fashion perfect and power hungry so she she just kind of takes us everywhere from new york fashion week to doctor's visits Um, and just really reveals the forces that try to keep women small are more pervasive than anyone wants to admit, especially in a world that's been newly branded as woke. That sounds really, really good. Yeah, it, it hits everything that kind of like hits hard for me, but once again, from a perspective that I don't have the opportunity to live or engage with in a way that I want to more, um, so it was, it was just super helpful. And uh, I'll also kind of throw this in. It's a powerful collection, ideal for fans of Roxanne Gay and Rebecca So In It. So I two mean, names right there. <laughs> if you needed any other convincing, I, I could have used one of those names. <laughs> I mean, I didn't need any additional convincing, but I'll take it. I'll take I, it. Um, yeah, the, the comment about the... Um, the L like that era of the L word of like the 90s like late 90s early 2000s was whew, 
I mean, I love me some Shane and, and Jenny, but they're um they're pretty skinny and um Yeah. The whole thing. Between the L word and queer as folk, like oh, yeah. what were my yes. expectations for the world? <sighs> for real, for real. Um, so my last one is another anthology and it's Fat and Queer, um, edited by Bruce Owens Grimm. Miguel M. Morales and Tiff Joshua T.J. Ferrenti. So this again hits that intersection of queer and fat bodies. So people who um, identify as both, and it it you know, um, just like navigating the world in a body that's not really built for you or doesn't really want you to be there, <laughs> and then also adding in sort of the queer identity that comes on top of that. Um, it's about reclaiming your body. It's about, you know, reclaiming your sexuality and the, the mix of authors who are part of this anthology. Good. I love every um, essay and story in here. It's so incredibly powerful and it's, it's absolutely one of my favorite books. It just came out this year. It's one of my favorite books of the entire year because um, I think it's, it's something that doesn't really get talked enough about is how the queer community and it's it's queer and trans bodies, not just queer, but um, like how the community does react differently to fat bodies sometimes. And we should talk about that. And so here's an entire anthology of stories. Uh, well, thank you for that, like, punch right to the the face, because that is, that's what I need in my life, uh, you know, as a, as a person who identifies as both queer and fat, it, uh, wow, I mean, yep. it's not talked about, and the way that, at least on kind of my, my side of the queer umbrella, that my fat body is embraced, still right now feels very fetishized, so... Mm-hmm yeah uh it's yeah i you know i follow a lot it's like in particular when it comes to like fat bodies and and trans folks is they can't always get the gender confirming surgery because of just various medical bullshit and so i mean absolutely it's because it's not it's like seen almost as cosmetic and so it's not seen as like a medical necessity to do the surgery and like that's messed up like i can't even Right. We're going to use words in like insurance-based descriptions, yes. like affirmation, but our overall perception and description of it as healthcare providers is cosmetic. That's, yes, exactly. that's some cognitive dissonance. Yep. Yep. Ugh. Wow. Well, thank you for that. I cannot wait to add that to my list and, uh, you know, sob along silently. Yes, that will happen. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> Honestly, I'm here for it. This is this is the year where I'm embracing the tears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I have one last book for you. I promise this is my last one. Thank you for indulging me in so many of these beautiful LGBTQIA plus titles. Um, I mentioned a little bit ago that I was trying to cover all age ranges, and this is a juvenile title. I actually... Uh, enjoyed this as a read-along. So I got to see the beautiful full-color illustrations, but also have the book read to me, which was delightful. Uh, So my last book is My Rainbow by Deshana and Trinity Neal, and it was illustrated by Art Twink. 
So it's a, a dedicated mom who puts love straight into action as she creates the perfect rainbow colored wig for her transgender daughter. It's based off the real life experience of mother daughter advocate duo Trinity and Deshauna Neal. So a warm morning sunlight fill the Neal home and on one quiet day playtime leads to an important realization. Trinity wants long hair like her dolls. She needs it to express who she truly is. So her family decides to take a trip to the beauty supply store, but none of the wigs is the perfect fit. Determined, mom leaves with bundles of hair in hand, ready to craft a wig as colorful and vibrant as her daughter is. With powerful text by the duo and radiant art by Art Twink, My Rainbow is a celebration of showing up as our full selves with the people who have seen us truly all along. I know. (laughs) Even reading that, I'm like, I cried while I listened to this read-along, but it's beautiful. Also, speaking of covers, I mean... The cover. That sounds so lovely. The cover gets me, like, I have my notes up with the cover next to it. I'm just staring at it. Like, it makes me so happy because, I mean, like, that's that's the crux of the story. The, like, yeah. I understand. And it hits all of the important notes. Like, the the mother is a woman who wears her hair short. And she says to her daughter, you don't need long hair to be a beautiful woman. And, you know, there's these portraits of beautiful women of all body types and colors with short hair And, you know, and her daughter to say like, well, you can have short hair, but I can't. And so it's, it's just like, we all, we're all the same at the end of the day. Like we, we all kind of share the same, the same insides, the same feelings. And to see that at such a young age that this is resonating with her and, you know, just the kind of way that it all, that it all comes together. Like you can take five minutes and enjoy the the read along and it'll change your life that sounds so good oh um also i mean i totally knew what i was getting into when i asked you to be like <laughs> let's talk about these bugs and i knew you're gonna come with a whole bunch great because we need those so you, you you knew you knew i was I gonna you knew i was gonna come with like the cavalry charged with just a long list of books sure you did. have to read <laughs> Sure did, Joe. Sure did. The struggle, Jill. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We got listeners got a whole bunch of books. There's some kids' books. There's some YA, adult, nonfiction. We got the whole thing covered here. Thank you, Jill, so much for letting me share just part of what the community has to offer. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Jill Grunenwald and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, the Paperfold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.